is the Lightning Junkies podcast with your host, Chaz. On this week's episode of the podcast, we have the team from Bolts Exchange talking about reverse submarine swaps and being a lightning service provider. On this episode, we have two guests. We have both Anchor and Michael from Bolts Exchange, and we talk about various topics, including, you know, their own, you know, Bolts Exchange, how it works, different parts of that, like doing their reverse submarine swaps, being a lightning service provider. Our apologies for our slowness getting this episode out there. Kat and I have been having some issues that we're working through currently, but we still want to make sure to bring you good lightning network content. We do ask that you support the podcast any way that you can, whether it's donating at lightningjunkies.net forward slash support or it's by subscribing to our newsletter by going to lightningjunkies.net forward slash sign up, or it could be as simple as subscribing to our Twitter and retweeting whenever we release a new episode in order to increase that word of mouth. Without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into this episode. I would like to go ahead and welcome Anchor and Michael to the Lightning Junkies podcast. How are you guys doing today? Doing great. Thanks for having us, Chaz. It's good to be here. Hi, doing great. And thank you for having us. Absolutely. I do want to start out the podcast by saying I met Anchor in uh, Berlin last year at a Lightning conference. We had probably one of the better conversations I had there. I can't really remember the contents of it anymore, to be entirely honest. But I do know it had to do with the intricacies of Lightning, the issues of onboarding users, stuff like that. So I felt like this would be a good place to talk about it, go into that kind of stuff here. And, you know, with Michael here, we can add a kind of third dimension to it all. Let's go ahead and jump into it here. I want to start with you, Anchor, and to start with your just general background. You don't have to get too detailed if you don't want to. What was your background? What were you doing for a living? That kind of stuff. I basically just graduated from university. I studied computer science in a university, and I worked at a crypto exchange for a while. And I've just been fascinated by Bitcoin and Lightning in general. You know, I think since way back, I think in late 2015, you know, I came across a blog by Nick Sojo. I'm sure you guys know it. Uh, it's called Unnumerated. So that was basically my entry point to the Bitcoin rabbit hole. For those who don't know, listening to podcasts like Nick is an inventor of Bitcoin, which is widely considered to be the precursor of Bitcoin. Just like after reading his blog, I began thinking a lot about internet in general from the first principle, right? Like in essence, when you think about it, what internet did was it sort of eradicated the friction that was prevalent around like the information flow. No matter who you are, no matter where you're from, any information was just a couple of taps away from you. So Bitcoin was always like, felt like a missing piece of the puzzle for me, you know, where you begin to add a monetary incentive to the information flow at the protocol layer. So it felt pretty intuitive. Uh, to me personally, and I built a mental model very early, where I believe that the financial sovereignty is a fundamental human right. You go out in the world, you work hard, you accumulate and accure wealth, and the fact that nobody can take it away from you is extremely powerful and liberating. So that's just a gist of how I got into Bitcoin in general. 
Okay, and uh, Michael, how about you? I just graduated from high school and got into Bitcoin in 2017 during the bull run. It was really interesting to me from a tech perspective. Since then, I've just been going down the rabbit hole of Bitcoin and Lightning, how it works and building on it. All right. And then, so how did you guys end up getting into Lightning here? As I said, I was working on a crypto exchange before and... uh, Michael was also a open source developer there. So we were working on like a lightning crypto wallet back then. And we wanted to make a non-custodial lightning wallet because obviously we believe that lightning was the best solution to scale Bitcoin. But there was like a lot of troubles on doing so, right? Like how do you onboard users? How do you make sure that you don't give up the parts of Bitcoin that makes it special? It's non-custodial nature, censorship resistant nature and fungibility and all these properties. And while doing so, how do you still keep all the user experience intact while building a wallet solution that is both useful and is also in lines with what Bitcoin stands for. We brainstormed a bit and we decided that, okay, we should start a side project, sort of like we should work on building the tools that would enable people to build all these solutions easily on top of Bitcoin. So that's basically just the gist of how we started with Bulls and Lightning Network in general. Okay. We'll definitely get into bolts and all that here in a second. But is there anything about lightning that you see as being a showstopper here? Anything that you don't like about lightning before we jump into the things you might like about it here? That's actually a pretty good question. For me, I think the UX hurdle is really a pain point. I think most people, especially most people who are very deep into lightning community, I think they tend to not realize it that much. As you see, you know, people who are UX researchers or designers don't get as many autonomy on these lightning projects. Most of the lightning projects are being built on. So I think it's really, 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 really important for mainstream users to be using lightning network. For that, you have to make it really simple and easy to use. I think the US friction that comes with all the trade-offs that lightning networks make due to the architectural design, I definitely think that's one of the pain points of lightning networks. Yeah, I also see the main issue of Lightning in the user experience and also that it's so incredibly easy to lose funds. I've been playing with Lightning since early 2018 and I've lost quite a bit of sets on corrupted databases or lost states of channels. So that's not a main issue I see. Like, it's super easy to lose money. An open question for both of you then, how do we address that? I think one of the things that we can do, especially to address the problems like this, is give more autonomy to people who are, let's say, designers and US researchers, right? Like Square Crypto is doing great, as you saw. They are funding grants to all these different designers working on, uh, and US researchers working on making private keys more easier to remember, you know, using sound waves and all these different techniques. I think these are really great steps, especially when you're working on a project, when you give them more and more autonomy, like, okay, here is the engineering constraints. Here is, here's X that cannot be done, but Y is something that can be done. And this is the space that you can play it. I think then we will have a results that would be much better for the community in general. And uh, yeah, that, I think that's the way forward. If you ask me. Since we kind of talked about the not so good sides of lightning, What are your favorite parts of Lightning? The potential, man. Just look at the amount of things that's possible when you can instantly transact with someone who you don't even know without almost zero fees. I think the potential is only capped by nothing, really. I think if you look at, as I said before, talked about before as well, it just unbundles and unsackles Internet's full potential. 
and it really, really tends to make, it really paves a way where Jack from Twitter always says that Bitcoin is Internet's native currency. So I think Lightning is one thing that really could enable that dream in future. And that is something I'm extremely excited about. These aspects of Lightning, you're talking about its full potential here. Do you imagine that we'll need higher layers on top of Lightning in order to unlock that potential? Or are we going to stay on layer two, do you think? Oh, funny. Uh, do you remember we actually talked about RGB when we were in Berlin? Yeah. Yes. I think I took up issues about that pyramid thing because the more funds you have on top of the layer, the more insecure it becomes. I think I mentioned it before as well. So I think that's one problem which I see with RGB. But if you ask for lighting in general, I think it's too early to say, to be completely honest. We really don't know how things will play out. But I do believe that we will see a lot more innovation that we couldn't possibly even think of right now. You know, nobody could have predicted Facebook when networks were invented. I think it's it's pretty un- unimaginable uh, what can happen with Lightning Network and what's possible in the future. I agree, but there are already some things that people are working on uh, when it comes to layer three. Like recently, when you had Andreas Antonopoulos on your show, he talked about layer three solutions that build on top of layer two solutions to allow the exchanging of different currencies between layer twos. That's something that's already a first step into building layers on top of Lightning. And I think we'll see a lot more of that in the future. Correct me if I'm wrong, would you almost consider Bolts a layer three or is that a bit of a stretch there? Good question, actually. Um, It's a layer three, I'd say, because it operates on top of layer two. It builds on top of layer two, but... It's just the first step when it comes to layer three technologies. It's centralized, like we are running a server, a centralized one. It's a first step maybe into a layer three future, but we are not there yet. More of a bridge between layer one and layer two. I think that would make more intuitive sense to think of folks like bridging the layer because submarine swaps, atomic swaps and all things. I'm sure we'll talk about later these technologies and our USB when we launched were just the submarine swaps. People were able to swap on-chain funds for off-chain ones. I think uh, more of a bridging layers than layer three, if you, in my opinion. But what Michael said, I tend to agree that just a beginning of uh, what's possible with layer three right now. I think we'll kind of use that as a good segue here. How about you tell the listeners what Bolts Exchange is, just in case they may not know what it is? Bolts is basically a privacy-first, account-free crypto exchange. We have two facets of our product offerings. The first facet is obviously that we are an exchange. We provide users a way to trade crypto while retaining all their privacy features and while retaining all the non-custodial natures of trading, which we very, very strongly believe in. And the second part of what Bolt says is we are also an LSP. That is, we are also a lightning service provider. We build tools uh, for different products of different LAPs that is building on top of lightning networks so that it makes it easier for them to integrate it. Let's say different wallets like Breeze, for instance, have integrated Bolt's reverse submarine swap. When you withdraw from Breeze wallet to your on-chain wallet, it is done using swap. This is the second phase of what we're doing. And we're also working with a lot of different wallet and a lot of different teams like RTL and Thunderhub and all these guys to make sure that our LSP, our Lightning Service Provider services is also one of the major focuses for us. So we are basically two-faced right now. Got it. Okay. 
I've started using bolts probably very early in your life cycle there. I've definitely seen it change over the years, etc. And you were saying before that it's maybe the best use case is trading off-chain Bitcoin for on-chain Bitcoin or vice versa. I do notice that Litecoin and Lightning Litecoin is on there. And I do remember, I think, that you guys had other cryptocurrencies before. We're very much a Bitcoin podcast here, but just to kind of ask the question, are you guys looking to add more cryptocurrencies on there in the future? What's your thing there? Basically, we are an exchange solution. And when you are an exchange, we want to provide users to exchange one crypto to another. We cannot just have one single coin. While we completely sympathize with people who, who love Bitcoin and who thinks that that is one of the major solutions, we completely agree with them as well. I think as an exchange solution, I think it's incumbent upon us to provide users with more optionality. It should be upon users what they want to trade and how they want to trade. What we can do is we can just give them more options to do so. So we definitely think that having more crypto is something that we should do and we will be doing. And yes, we did have Litecoins before and we are currently on works of including a stable coin as well so that users have an option to hedge their trade when they trade against Bitcoin and hedge themselves against the Bitcoin brutality. So that is one of our main focus right now. And it, it's a part and partial of being an exchange business. You are not really an exchange if you just have one currency. Very true. Very true. I do notice that Litecoin is on there with along with its Lightning Network variant. Is the requirement for another asset being added them having their own Lightning Network or is that not really relevant? It's not really relevant. Like the stable coins we are about to integrate that Anchor already mentioned are ESO20 tokens. And we are just going to do swaps between Bitcoin Lightning and ESO20 tokens. That's the plan right now. We might even have chain to chain, so on-chain Bitcoin to on-chain ESO20 token transfers, but the asset having a Lightning Network is not a hard requirement for us. That being said, is there any interesting things that can go on, like let's say between off-chain Bitcoin and off-chain Litecoin, is there any interesting mechanics or anything interesting you could do because they're both on Lightning? There is something you can do and you can atomically swap between Lightning Networks. Our friends at OpenDEX are doing that. They are building uh, an exchange that solely operates on second layer solutions and allows you to swap between second layers and between different currencies on the second layer. When you abstract out the on-chain part, what happens is you can trade any currency, like Litecoin is basically just a fork of Bitcoin. There are a lot of architectural similarities. What happens is when you bring both of coins up a level to layer two, then you can trade seamlessly between them without worrying about fees or all those stuff. So it just cuts down a lot of different friction. And I think that's a possibility for bulls going into future. I am just kind of curious, what kind of fees do you guys charge on this? Is it like a percentage? Is it worked into your exchange rate, etc.? Our fees are twofold. We do charge a little percentage on every trade. I think right now for the BTC-BTC pair, it's 0.5% and a little bit more for the LTC-BTC pair. And when you do a swap, you also pay a couple sets for minor fees. You were kind of saying before that you're trying to get into all the different wallets out there. What do you see as being the most common use case here? What's the most likely scenario do you see? Let's say someone downloads Breeze. What are they most likely going to use Bolts for? 
One thing that Breeze already has integrated from Bolts is, as Anchor pointed out, the reverse swap going from off-chain, from Lightning to Layer 1, back to on-chain Bitcoin. And another thing we've been working on for a while is a thing we call channel creation swap. This is simply a submarine swap that also creates a channel with inbound liquidity. From a UX point of view, it looks like this. The user opens the Breeze wallet, gets a Bitcoin address, sends funds to that address, and receives the funds off-chain in a new channel with inbound liquidity. When it comes to wallet integrations, Bolts is using the LSP side of our business and just cutting down the friction for the users to make it easier to use Lightning. Just to add on to that, the fact that you can open a channel like on the fly, it was something that was unheard of, right? Like people were using blue wallets all the time because it's just such a pain to open a channel and manage a channel still is, even if you are pretty experienced in managing nodes. This is one of the main part comes down to why user experience is such an important part of us and why channel creation swap is so transformative and revolutionary because you just download a wallet and you get a fully funded, ready to transact lightning channels on the fly. And I think that would be really cool once you will see that rolling out. Do we have any ETA on that or are we just gonna, just gonna wait for it? Right now it's only available in our API and a tool we built for LND that's called Bolts LND. It's just a CLI tool similar to what Loop has. But in the long run, we are going to roll it out in our front end that's available at Bolts Exchange and also in RTL and Breeze. Just to reinforce that, I think once it gets integrated into our front end, which will be very, very soon, near future, what will happen is even if you have a new Lightning node and you don't have a channel with Bolts and you still do a swap right now, it will probably fail because of no root found error. But when we do integrate that, what will happen is Bolts will open a channel back to you and send the funds there. Everything will happen, will be completely abstracted out and will happen behind the scene. It'd be really cool to actually experience that. I'm sure you will love it, Jazz. Delivering the it just works experience on Lightning, so to say. Perfect. I definitely like everything that I'm hearing, so I, I can't wait to try that out. I want to kind of take a quick tangent here, kind of on the same topic. I am currently running my own routing node. I'm not sure if I would consider myself experienced or not. I've been doing it for like a year and a half. I guess my question is, like, I, I have a difficult time actually balancing my channels. Maybe I'm a bit of a noob still, but I feel like one of the best tools right now is loop in and loop out. Do you guys have any opinions of tools and things outside of Bolts that you find interesting? Loop with its loop in and loop out services has a really similar thing to Bolt because we have our submarine and reverse submarine swaps, which are essentially the same thing. Apart from that, there isn't really that much when it comes to infrastructure on Lightning. Like there is Loop, there is Bolt, some wallets like the Moon wallet have their own swap implementation thing going on behind the scenes. But apart from that, there isn't really that much building going on, at least that I'm aware of. Maybe I'm missing something. I think Alex Bosworth has a tool that is open source that you can use to balance channel pretty easily. Yeah, but I think that's just for off-chain balancing that you can send funds between your channels to get all of them balanced. But when it comes to services you can use, it's just the two loop and bolts, I think. But maybe I'm missing something. 
if you are asking about rebalancing using on-chain funds, I think there's only two services as right now. And what makes Pulse different from Loop is that we are node implementation agnostic in that we can work with C Lightning and all Eclair and all these different node implementation. And isn't we are not like locked into LND. I guess you're already saying that you're trying to get with like Thunderhub and some of these other node managers to get in there. So that'd be very interesting to have that be in there. Is there any likelihood that you could convince the BTC Pay server guys to throw it in there? We are in the process of adding bolts to RTL. And I think if I'm not entirely mistaken, RTL is bundled with BTC Pay Server. So if you have BTC Pay Server and RTL, in the future, you'll also have both in RTL. Yep. And our PR for RTL is completely ready. We're just doing like last minute stuff, get it merged to RTL masters. Once it's there, I think you can definitely use it with BTC Pay Server. Michael, you were kind of saying that there's only two things that would qualify for this here. Do you think that's a problem? Do you think it's the fact that it's there's loop and bolts? Do you think there should be more competition going on? It would be great to have a little bit more competition, but we are still really, really early when it comes to Lightning. People are just starting to run nodes, wallets for phones and desktops are just being built and being improved to be actually usable. So we are still really early. And I guess in the future, we'll see a lot more competition going on for these kinds of services. The thought that kind of pops into my head is a kind of question that comes up a lot, actually, is do you guys see the fees on the Lightning Network staying low or do you see them eventually ballooning and kind of getting high generally as well? That's a really good question. I've never thought about this deeply. And just from what I've read on Twitter from Alex Bosworth, he's a great follow when it comes to Lightning on Twitter. He sees fees going up in the long run and maybe even go above on-chain fees. And I don't sure if I agree with that. On Lightning, you are not constrained by any kind of block size. You are just constrained by what routing nodes can provide when it comes to liquidity. So I'll see the fees going up compared to now, but still stay low compared to the base layer. I agree with that 100%. I think with Lightning, what will happen is look at the end of the day, it's a free market, right? It's a free economy. So it's a layer of fair capitalism. I think as far as the resources uh, you will get, the more people will come. If the fees will get high, it will. It means it will get profitable to run a Lightning node, a lot more profitable, and then more people will join and that will bring back twice. Right now, I, I really don't think that fees will get higher than on-chain, uh, at least anytime near future. Do you think on-chain fees getting too high would significantly impact the Lightning Network? There's been some discussion going on on the Lightning mailing list about problem with Lightning Network if the base layer gets too congested and the fees are getting too high. There could be potential issues with the Lightning Network and you could steal money by just spamming the base layer with high fee transactions so you could eventually maybe even steal funds from Lightning channels. But the main issue I see with high base fees and Lightning is that channel openings and closings will get expensive. Do you think we'll end up using more batching or otherwise opening multiple channels at one time type technologies 
How do you see people responding to that if that does happen? I see that coming and LND has been working on that actively recently. So they already have that feature in their CLI that they can open multiple channels in one transaction. I definitely see that coming in the future. And once that gets easy to use in some kind of user interface like RTL or Thunderhub, people will start using it simply because it's cheap and nice and just a good UX with low fees. We kind of touched on fees a bit here and we kind of touched on the things you like and you dislike. So what about apps? Are there any uh, lightning apps out there that you guys really like or really stand out to you? For me personally, I think I really like Stripe.me by Jack Mallers. I think it's really, really beautifully made and it really serves that purpose, even though it's, it's custodial and it's a fiat on-ramp. But I still think it will bring a lot more people into Lightning economy because it just makes it so easy for literally everyone, right? It's just if you saw the demo, it's just like three or four seconds, you can get up and running just your email. I really think Strike has a lot of potential. The other app I really like is LN Markets. Obviously, I know I'm naming these apps, which are so different from both. I'm always more excited about apps that brings more people to the Lightning ecosystem. LN Apps enables anyone with a Lightning wallet to be able to leverage trade or margin trade Bitcoin. That's really a very attractive proposition. You know, that creates a very good pull for new users. Let's say someone who uses BitMEX or other platforms to be able to, okay, you know what? I can use LN Markets now using LN URL and deposit and withdraw fund pretty fast. I think I really like these two apps right now. If I'm not mistaken, LN Markets uses discrete log contracts in order to pull off their voodoo magic over there? I don't think so. I think they are just using Lightning deposits into their custodial wallet and doing their trades on BitMEX in the background. I think they are just a custodial mirror for Lightning, but there has been something going on with discrete log contracts and Bitcoin futures. Something has been going on there, but I don't remember the name. All right. So there was some Lightning apps you guys liked there. I guess moving on from there and maybe touching back on the UX problem a little bit. One of the main complaints that even you guys brought up, but the one main complaint that I see from just regular people on Twitter every day is that Lightning's too complicated. I have to do X, Y, Z. There's been wallets that have been trying to address that. Phoenix, Breeze, you know, some others. Do you think the future of Lightning is hiding these channels away and abstracting away the, the experience we have now? Or do you see something else coming? As a first step, I definitely see abstraction going on. Don't have to care about your inbound liquidity or channels or whatnot, but it just works. Like when you download a Bitcoin wallet, a normal Bitcoin wallet, nowadays it just works. You don't have to worry about anything. It just works. And I see the same thing happening on Lightning, that you download a wallet like Breeze or Phoenix, just deposit your Bitcoins in there, and then it just works. I really don't subscribe to the notion that people just have to suck up the UX hurdle that Lightning prevents because it, it gives so much benefit like self-sovereignty. I think if at some point Lightning is not as easy to use as a Venmo or a Cash app, then we will not see mainstream adoption. We will have to make it easy and super easy for it to be used. And that means abstracting channel. That means making sure that transactions don't fail. That means having a robust routing algorithm and whatever comes with it. I think these are technical problems that will get solved with times and will get solved with more volume. I definitely think that 
as we should all be looking to make Lightning more and more easier and friendlier to use than it is right now. Otherwise, we are just not going to be competing against centralized entities. Do you think there's any current low-hanging fruit as far as the UX issue goes? For me, if you ask about low-hanging fruits, we are working on that. (laughs) But one thing that I would like to add is that if you really want to have a proper UX improvements. You know, there are a lot of hacks. You know, you can have lightning rod for asynchronous payments and all these different hacky stuff you can use to make it better. But at the protocol, at the base layer, you will need improvement. Like at the bold spec layer, people need to be conscious about user experience a lot more going into future. I'm sure it's still pretty early and I'm sure there are other priorities like security right now, but I'm sure as the protocol matures and develops, we will see all these different node implementation agreeing on improving the UX a lot more. So as far as low-hanging fruit goes, these are channel creation swaps and everything, and we are definitely working on that. One low-hanging fruit we addressed recently with the channel creation swap is getting inbound liquidity. When you do it, such a channel creation swap from on-chain to off-chain, you get a fresh channel with inbound liquidity off-chain. That definitely sounds like a big improvement there. I know you guys already said that's going to be in these wallets relatively soon. Do you think the, you know, the newbiest of the newbie is going to be using this type of product in the next six months? Yeah, I think so. Like once the chain creation swap thing is in Breeze or RTL and it's just like clicking deposit and sending sats to that Bitcoin address it shows you and it's super easy to use. I guess there is no real issue for newbies to start using that. I think at this point, I might want to take a quick step back and maybe go to broader Bitcoin themes. I'm just going to go for something that I always think about and always feel like is a controversial question. Do you think the one megabyte block size makes sense? Yeah, I do. Simply because it's not scalable. The things we see happening in Ethereum right now, where miners just collude and see and just increase the gas limit of Ethereum blocks without the users giving any kind of agreement. This is what's happening in Bitcoin SV and Bitcoin Cash. People just decide, hey, we're going to bump the block size and that's done. I think one of the most important things in Bitcoin history is the user-activated soft fork and the users insisting on the one megabyte block size. I think it's great for scalability and also a great sign for the futures that the users decide what's happening in Bitcoin and you don't have miners or devs colluding and deciding for you. I agree with that. I think it definitely makes more sense. If you see what's happening in Ethereum right now, it's pretty chaotic and we really don't want to be following that shoot. I think the more power end users have, the more power the people who are running Bitcoin nodes have, I think the better it is for the community as a whole. So yeah, I think definitely makes sense. I don't agree with people like Lucas Jr. who want to even shrink blocks to like 400 kilobytes. That's just too much. But sticking to one megabyte plus SegWit and other scalability improvements in the future like Taproot or Graftroot definitely makes sense and ensures the longevity and 
decentralized nature of Bitcoin so that everyone can run a node without having to worry up too much about hardware constraints or buying expensive hardware just to sync your node. Do you think Bitcoin will end up raising its block size eventually? I don't know. There are so many people insisting on the one megabyte plus segwit blocks and also people insisting on never hard forking Bitcoin unless really necessary. If it ever gets to that point, it will be really controversial. Maybe even see a Bitcoin split between people who want bigger blocks and people who don't. But maybe in the future we'll see that. I think it's extremely subjective when you think about it, like 1 MB, 1.5 MB. What are the metrics they are using to bring up these numbers? Why do you think 1 megabytes is the size that should be increased? I feel like if you think from the first principle, the major reason why people don't want to be increasing block size is because it makes censorship resistant property of Bitcoin a little weaker. But you have to always think of, okay, if people are going to have more powerful computers, Moody's law is going to improve a lot more. You have to increase it at some point, right? Like you cannot have small blocks like we have right now forever. So I think it definitely makes sense to me and I'm definitely pro increasing it. Uh, the metric Luke Dash Jr. is using for his calculations and it's the main reason for which he is for 300 kilobyte blocks is that the issue when you sync a Bitcoin node is not mainly CPU or RAM, but mostly disk and bandwidth. And once you prune your node, the disk issue isn't that big anymore, but the bandwidth issue still persists. And if the initial block download and just keeping up with the chain, keeping a node in sync needs more bandwidth than you have, you can't sync a node. And the main issue he sees is simply that once you have all of that chain, all of that chain needs more bandwidth to sync and to keep in sync than you have and that you can have, it's an issue and you can't sync anymore. I definitely understand where it is coming from, but I think some trade-offs are bound to be made. We don't live in a utopia, right? So I think we will we will see how it rolls out, but our best hope is that we don't see a chain split because that's the last thing community reads like now. Yeah, I don't see it changing anytime soon. We're definitely going to be scaling in other ways. We've definitely scaled with SegWit, etc. And as you mentioned, we have some other things coming down the pipe there taproot, etc. Do you see that being more of the way forward? Generally speaking, you know, maybe one day block size might be raised, but are we going to spend 15 years doing a bunch of other novel things to kind of get scaling out of Bitcoin? And then if we do decide to increase the block size later, maybe just double it, that the amount of scale already built into Bitcoin will be astronomical and just doubling it would be huge on its own. Yeah, like with Taproot, you'll have so much scalability and flexibility, even for the future of Lightning, that you don't necessarily need that big of blocks to be able to do anything you want with custom scripts. But I see mainly in the near future scaling with Lightning and federated sidechains like Liquid, then with the next soft fork, taproot, graft root, and whatnot coming, with Schnorr signatures to make multisig transactions smaller, and maybe in the long, long run, we'll see a block size increase, which will mean that we can include even more of these small 
tap route, a graft route, and whatnot transaction in the block. Do you see more layer twos merging, not just Lightning and not just things like Liquid, I guess? Do you see just like an explosion of layer twos coming in the future here? On the Ethereum chain, there's a lot going on when it comes to layer two. They are doing lots of different things. And I also see that coming for Bitcoin, not necessarily in a non-custodial or decentralized nature. Maybe we'll also have layer two-like solution on exchanges like Coinbase that you can send to different Coinbase users without any fees. Something like that will definitely be coming or other easy-to-use custodial solutions because as we see right now, the mempool and sending on-chain transactions is expensive and that's not a good UX. Sometimes you have to wait for a long time and still pay lots of fees. So I see lots of layer two solutions emerging that will just cut down friction and make using Bitcoin or some custodial packed Bitcoin thing easy and fast and cheap to use. I would have a little different opinion here. I think if you look at Ethereum in general, they had something like Lightning Network. I think they had Radiant Network way back, which was exactly like Lightning Network. Then they had Plasma. The whole community was behind Plasma. And then nobody knew what happened with that. And now they are Vitalik is shilling. Jet gate rollups, zero knowledge <laughs> proves a lot these days. So one of the things that is good about, I think, Bitcoin right now in general is that the community is united on Lightning Network. We are all pushing towards one same agenda. And I think that's a good thing. I don't think dispersing that attention would do any good to us, especially in near short term. Yeah, obviously, the more competition we have in technological level, the better it is. But I'm a little greedy and uh, not that patient. And I think that we should all get behind Lightning Network and try to improve the protocol because the fundamentals are strong. It works from first principle. And I see no reason why it won't work. I think I don't really see a lot of different layer two solution emerging. I feel like community will keep backing Lightning Networks as of right now. I feel like that's a pretty interesting point there, that a lot of the Ethereum layer 2 stuff has just been there, but I don't feel like it's all that big compared to Lightning. Most of the people on Twitter that are saying Ethereum's better than the Lightning Network, let's say a lot of the Ethereum is the layer 2 for Bitcoin type nonsense, and saying, hey, look at this WBTC thing. There's more Bitcoin locked up in that than on the Lightning Network. Obviously, the Lightning Network is is a complete failure. I think the majority, as far as I can tell, of these types of projects on Ethereum that are like these Bitcoin abstractions or whatever are all centralized and they all have issues and it's all kind of a dishonest presentation from the ethereum folks in relation to lightning do you guys generally see this kind of dishonesty around lightning outside of the uh, bitcoin bubble yeah i've definitely seen lots of ethereum guys just chilling their rep bitcoin stuff which is essentially just a custodial Packed Bitcoin, ESC20 token. And like, what's the point of that? Why would anyone call that real Bitcoin or scaling solution to Bitcoin if you still have a custodian? I don't get the point of all these Ethereum as layer two for Bitcoin things. If you will ask me, I think, yeah, definitely those arguments about WBTC being compared to Lightning is not uh, founded. You know, it's unfounded. I think you should compare, if you're comparing the volume of WBTC, you should probably compare it with BitMEX. 
I definitely don't want to get into that debate. I feel like throwing mud at each other in a community, it's something which reaps no benefit to anyone. It does no good. And we should all work towards what we believe in and the best one will win. As far as the Ethereum community is concerned, I think they do have good ideas, at least in theory right now. You know, JetK rollups sounds really good. The TBTC thing is great, but the problem they have is they don't have a unified front. You know, the community isn't really getting behind one scaling solution. Even it too is delayed like since forever. That is one thing that is working for us, especially in the Bitcoin community, that we are all behind Lightning Networks. We all know we are all on the same page and we are all working and pushing the same agenda. And I think that will accelerate the timeline for us from everything from adoption to improvement on the protocol layer, you know, because protocols are inherently hard. It took like 20 years for SMTP and email to be built. So these are hard, tough technical jobs. You know, they are technical problems. To have a community so dedicated, so behind one single project like Lightning Networks is always going to do good for us. And we should continue working towards that. I know you mentioned earlier that you're not a huge fan of RGB and that you guys are planning on onboarding an ERC-20 to bolts. Would you prefer an asset on RGB or an asset on Ethereum? If I had the choice, I'd prefer RGB. But right on the issue is that RGB is still in its infancy. It's just a proof of concept implementation. It works, but it has basically no adoption and is still really hard to use. But if it continues to make progress and continues to get better, we'll definitely look into RGB tokens on Bolt. I uh, kind of wanted to hear Anchor's uh, opinion about RGB here, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I do have concerns about layers building on top of lining. You know, we already talked about if this gets too high on layer two, it will get easier to attack. If you have something like DeFi, the volume of DeFi built on RGB right now, it will just increase the likelihood of 51% attack. I think you even asked the RGB founders on your podcast as well. I'm not sure I remember the answer, but if there is an easy way, if there's a stable coin with enough liquidity and volume on RGB built and everybody uses it, I would be happy to integrate it. It's all about giving more optionality to users. As an exchange, that's what you do. You give more options to users and you stay true with your philosophy. If given a choice, and if RGB proves me wrong and gains like a lot of liquidity and a lot of mainstream adoption, we will be happy to integrate it. You have concerns about RGB. So I guess if we were to talk about some hypothetical future where we have layer four stuff built on top of RGB, is that going to be doubly a problem for you? You cannot keep building layers. I feel like you need to, the base, the base chain security has to be there has to be some solution to your base chain security. If you keep accumulating assets on top of one single transaction, then it is just de-incentivizing the security of the base chain itself. So that is the main concern. Layer 2, Layer 3, Layer 4, people can keep building it and all power to them. It's a free market. People should test out and build their ideas. And I have a lot of respect for people who do that. But I don't see a solid technical foundation as of right now for something like RGB to work. But is, that is strictly my personal opinion. I'd love to be proven wrong, but let's see what happens. I definitely plan to get the, uh, you know, Giacomo on here because that podcast was terrible of recording live in Berlin next to like live music playing was probably a mistake. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll get Giacomo on here and I'll get to the, I can't remember his name. I believe his name is Maxim. can't remember his, his, his last name at the moment, uh, Dr. Maxim. He was uh, doing his talk with um, Giacomo at the Lightning Conference. Um, 
But anyway, okay, so we touched on RGB there. We touched on the theoretical layer four or layer five or layer 10,000 or whatever. Do you see that, generally speaking, being the future of Bitcoin, kind of emulating the internet stack? Future of Bitcoin emulating the internet stack. I think what Bitcoin does, it supplements it, uh, supplementing all those protocol layers. And right now, I think if you look at, as far as emulating the internet stack is concerned, it's definitely taking long time to build lightning networks. You know, protocol development is hard. You cannot move fast and break things, you know, the normal Silicon Valley logic. You cannot follow that because there are real money involved. It is definitely emulating internet in a sense that it is hard to build. It takes longer time to build. We will see how it goes, but I look at it more as a supplementing the internet stack right now, where you add monetary incentive to the protocols. That does make a lot of sense. Do either of you have any predictions on the future of Bitcoin, the future of Lightning beyond the taproot kind of horizon, you know, maybe a little bit further beyond that, where maybe even going to sci-fi land here? Do you guys have any predictions, any thoughts, anything you expect to see that we haven't seen yet? In far, far future in the sci-fi land, I think what will happen is we will stop thinking about money. Uh, if you will ask me, like, we wouldn't really need to be thinking about money because micropayments would be super cheap. Since it's super cheap, it can actually happen automatically, you know, with this internet of things and all these devices around us. And I'm sure you saw GPT-3 as well. Maybe it will do the payment for us. And we just wouldn't really need to think about money in far, far future. We will just secure wealth and we will spend wealth on the way uh, we determine or maybe determined by an algorithm like it's already is uh, the way you use Wealthfront and all these different infrastructure on top of your fiat. So you are algorithmically investing your money already. I think if you stretch that, I think we will see a world where micropayments would be like so cheap and so insignificant, if I can use that word, that we wouldn't really need to invest our brain capacity there. I don't know if it makes sense, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think it does. I think it does. I definitely like to hear about people's future there. But yeah, the future without money or without you know, it being in our daily thought process or anything is pretty fascinating. And I would probably agree with that. I don't know if, for example, I'm a huge fan of Star Trek. And I don't know if you guys have ever watched Star Trek or not. But one of the big parts of it is the lack of money there. I used to believe that was because, you know, they're communists and they got rid of money. But what if instead of that being true, all the money is just being taken care of by machines and humans don't even think about it anymore. Is that totally unreasonable? Yeah, like financial sovereignty gets automated to a point where it just stops uh, mattering into your daily life. You know, you just do that based on some algorithm or some crazy sets. It's pretty hard to predict, to be honest. Like it's so, so far in future, but you're not sure if you will be alive to see that. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting proposition uh, right now. Okay, so I want to move on a little bit here, probably move away from Bitcoin Lightning generally a little bit. We don't have to entirely, but I guess the question that I want to ask just to try to get some interesting content here, I think, is there anything between you guys that you know you disagree about that we could talk about a little bit? We do agree on a lot of things, on most things that matter, but on in some cases, we do disagree severely. Like, I think that Infura on Ethereum is complete garbage and it's bad for the ecosystem. Anchor does think it's valuable and is a good thing that you have an easy way to use Ethereum and stuff. But 
these are just minor technical stuff to disagree on, but I don't think there's anything fundamentally philosophical that we disagree on. Yeah, but there is this thing about Ethereum and Fiori. I feel like there is one major disagreement where I don't really take absolutist view, you know, like Bitcoin maximalism where only Bitcoin is good and everyone who is doing anything else is a scammer. I don't like to take that sort of view. I feel like we should always keep our uh, eyes open and listen to people, what they're building on and what the world's view look like, even if we disagree with them. So with Infura and with Ethereum, what I think is really important is that what Ethereum's ecosystem has done well is that they have, with stuff like Uniswap and Infura, they have circumvented the regulation you know they have created a regulatory arbitrage you know so you saw portal pay got shut down because of regulations not very long ago it was a really good startup but something like that cannot happen to uniswap or anything anyone running and uh, the app built on top of infura because there is a place for arbitraging the regulation which ethereum does really well i think that is something which we disagree on. Michael Ray doesn't think that is a long-term solution or worth considering at all. I refrain from taking absolutist view as much as I can. Without really going into the specifics of the virus and all that, because I'm sure people are incredibly tired of all that, something that I'm kind of just curious about is how has your guys' life changed in the last six months without really getting into the, the virus aspect too much? I work remote. I'm in my home country right now, but I did my college from outside my home country. When I came here, I met all my social group and social friend and we were socializing a lot and it was all fun because I was also remotely working. So there was no time constraint. So I don't have to be present at any given slot of time. That was a pretty good life. And then all of a sudden this happened and now uh, the social factor is cut out. I think that is something that keeps me sane going out, hanging out with people, you know, having a couple of beers, talking about something other than tech, talking about football or, and whatnot. That is definitely something that has changed uh, drastically in six months. But on the positive side, you have to be learn to be alone. I think that's one of the real great skills you can have in life. If you can be alone, I don't know, man, like if you, if you can be alone and be happy, that's a good, really good thing to have. Do most people like that silence when they're alone? I think, yeah, most people would, you know, probably say that it's very difficult just to kind of expand on that a little bit, I think. I'm a huge fan of Naval. The one reason why is the way that he meditates is sitting in silence for an hour. What better way to be by yourself alone with your own thoughts? And I feel like you're right. That's definitely a superpower if you can conquer that just to kind of riff off that a little bit do you meditate at all or do anything like that anchor i do a lot of yoga so yoga is something that is pretty deeply rooted in my family tradition because of my religion as well even nawal does a lot of it if i understand he had this 30-day meditation challenge or something going on i have still saw like a lot of people participating in it and asking me to do it so i went to one of my friends and he was meditating all day and I was like what are you doing as as like I'm going to meditate it's a naval study day challenge so I did that there as well I think it's a good detachment from everyday life you know it can get overwhelming at times following those principles and keeping your physical and mental health intact is one of the most important things all right perfect uh what about you Michael how has the last six months uh changed for you I've been remote working too so my work life hasn't changed that much but I've been missing the socializing with mates and family a lot. 
that was the main issue for me in the last six months. I also follow Naval on Twitter and tried to do some meditation, but it just didn't work out for me. I just didn't have the patience to sit in silence for that long. Maybe that's something I'll have to work on in the future. Do either of you guys think it's usually very difficult to do that just because of the thoughts that will race through your mind when you're you know sitting in a dark room with your eyes closed or something i think it's hard for most people simply because you're not used to it these days we have our phones with us all the time and can distract ourselves all the time whenever we want and just sitting in silence in a dark room is just something you're not used to anymore at all. I think it's it's hard to start as far as I know, but once you get a grip of it, you start enjoying it. Have you tried floating chambers, just where you go into this sleeping chamber for like an hour and you're floating and you don't you don't even feel your body at all? Have you ever tried that? Oh, do you mean the what is that stuff? The uh, the isolation tank? Yeah, yeah, isolation tank. Have you ever tried it? I have not. Uh, I've definitely heard of Joe Rogan doing that for years. And so I've always, you know, look at places locally to go do that. But I guess I've never done that. I have just been one to do psychedelics myself as a kind of uh, as a cheat a little bit, you know, because uh, meditation's hard, but taking some mushrooms is pretty easy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah we should enough. do a Joe Rogan uh, retreat where we just eat elk meat and uh, do mushrooms and go to these isolation fats. <laughs> His lifestyle is pretty crazy. Sounds pretty fun to me. All right. So I think we're kind of reaching towards the end of the show here. Was there anything else about Bitcoin, Lightning, Bolts that you guys wanted to touch on before we started to wrap it up here? I think the progress there we are making is very linear right now, but I'm sure that with time and with more and more people joining the community, we will see a uptick in the adoption. And it could be one month, it could be six months, it could be one year from now. But what is important for us is to stay true to the fundamentals, right? Just make sure that we are not deviating from it too much. We are keeping our brains open and we, are, we keep sipping products as a community as a whole. I think it's a very healthy community that we have, not only Lightning, but Bitcoin community in general. It's uh, extremely healthy. People believe in open source. They believe in sharing ideas. It's just great to be a part of this community so early in my career. And I'm sure Michael feels the same way. And that's how it, we are looking forward to mainstream lightning adoption. Was there anything else that you wanted to uh, say, Michael? Nope, I just agree with Anchor completely. And I'm just so much looking forward and, ex and excited for the future and what the future brings. Because even after three years in the space and the community, I'm still amazed by all the stuff we've built and accomplished every day. All right, perfect. Do you want to let the listeners know how they can find Bolts on the interweb? You can uh, reach us at boltz.exchange. You will also find us on our Discord server. Uh, link is on our website. We are always available there and we promptly reply to any queries. And you can also DM us on Twitter. We will always reply there as well. Just throw anything at us, feedback, questions, and just even if you want to brainstorm, join us in our community. It's a good place to hang out and uh, share ideas. All right. Well, perfect, guys. I really appreciate you guys joining me on the Lightning Junkies podcast. Thanks for having us. Boom. That was the 35th episode of the Lightning Junkies podcast. 
Were you inspired by that episode? Was that vision of a lightning network enabled future enough to kind of keep you going and keep you building for the foreseeable future here? I hope so. I hope you learned something. I hope this is helping give you fuel to see the future of lightning, how it might help you, how it might help others, how it might help enable financial freedom for everybody. There isn't too much more to say after that other than me and Kat are going to continue to produce this type of content, content related to Bitcoin, content related to the Lightning Network, hopefully content that will help newbies. For now, the only thing we can really promise you is the Lightning Junkie show itself. We want to keep on making the show and keep on talking to new people in the Lightning Network ecosystem, trying our best to help guide newbies to the best practices and help bring in new developers into the world of Lightning in order to establish and to keep on establishing that feedback loop. I think that's a good place to end it. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us at lightningjunkies.net forward slash support. You can sign up to see more at lightningjunkies.net forward slash sign up. For now, I'll see you on the Lightning Network.